Welcome to the 19th episode of the Film Illiterist Podcast, your home for uninformed, unfiltered, ill-advised movie talk. I'm your host, Joe Campbell, and today joining me are Nathan Stone. Hi everyone, how's it going? And once again, we've got our good friend Alex Patton on board. Alex, welcome You made it, again. I'm so happy to have you. Who let you in? I don't know, man. I just barged in here. Yeah, I we we closed the door to this this uh, this this video chat, and you just came right in the back door. Well, no, no, no. Actually, what I, what I just did is I let him in while you were sleeping, Joe, and just you locked him in your bedroom, and just you have you had to kill him. You had to basically would, do it one way or another. I would expect no less, Nate. Yes, yes, you would. So once again, it is time for a pick a flick episode. This is where one of us picks a movie that all three of us have to suffer through and review. <laughs> this was my week to pick a flick, and I picked the 2013 indie zombie movie *The Battery*, written and directed by Jeremy Gardner. I, I own. Thought uh, picked this one. No, this is my pick. <laughs> I was not expecting that. I, th- I thought this was a pretty neat movie. You thought that I would pick something like this? Whoa, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, guys, 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 guys. We'll have plenty of time to 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 debate the the merits or lack thereof <laughs> of the battery. <laughs> but uh, before we get into any of that, as always, we will start off by talking about what we watch on our own. So, Alex, since you're oh. back for the first time forever, and I see your very exhaustive list that you turned in ahead of time. Yeah, it's yes. a very long list. Into uh, why don't you go ahead and tell me what you've been watching on your watching or doing? Anime. I've been watching anime. There we go. What type of anime? <laughs> Any specific show? Let's see. I started a couple of the current shows going on right now. Have you finally what? seen uh, The Promised Neverland? No. What? Dude, I okay, you I I there's so many people that are like you haven't seen this, you need to watch this right now or you should watch this. I like there's too many and then I have my own list of like things that I really want to watch. Okay, let me just ask you this. Do you like Man. do you like prison escape movies? Not really. Do you like Guillermo del Toro? I can't say that I've seen enough of his stuff to say, but probably. Okay, yeah. well, this is a combination of both, so I'm surprised that you haven't seen it yet, and it deals with kids. So. Yeah, I'm kind of 50-50. A 50-50, okay. Well, what did you watch? Uh, well, I've been watching a bit of um, Don Machi, which is, is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon? It's <laughs> a good one. Is that something you actually watch, or is that just a question you're asking us? <laughs> It's literally the name of it. Believe me, Joe, you'd be surprised. There's a lot of very, very ambiguous names that are out there for a lot of good anime shows, but they are, tend to be very good shows. It's Alex, just Alex, a, self-help what? videos are, are not uh, allowed in this section. <laughs> Same what about time. It counts if I'm watching it, though, right? <laughs> Technically true. Yeah, there we go. Um, I've also been watching um, Maidens of the Savage Season and then uh, Given. Um, I stopped watching. I stopped watching all of those a little bit just to kind of let a few episodes build up, so I can try to binge all of them. Um, so in the meantime, I started watching uh, Demon Slayer, which was really good. I was kind of surprised by that one. Uh, this uh, is the one that you had watched uh, the first season of, right? And now this is the second season you're getting into. 
No, that was Goblin Slayer. Goblin Slayer. My bad. <laughs> Forgive me. Yes, I, I, I legitimately thought that you were talking about Dragon's Lair for a second there. I don't even know what that one is. Dragon's Lair? Yeah, well, Don Bluth. Great, great video game. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. Demon Slayer. It's an anime. What are we Demon doing? Slayer. Sorry, we're kind of That's filling uh, Alex's Thunder. Continue, please, yeah. Alex. It's good. It starts off really quickly, and it just kind of keeps going from there. But I, yeah, I was really... I wasn't expecting it to like it as much as I did. It got a decent bit of hype, but this second season that's started coming out that I ha- I have not yet caught up to. Um, people have been going pretty wild for it. Um, so I really need to kind of get back on that or get caught up on the first season uh, to really keep it, keep in track with it, with everyone. I was watching the second season, but yeah, that's been, that's been a really good one. Um, I mean, that's the anime that I've been watching really just slice of life stuff and killing demons. That's, yeah. It's just a day in the life of killing demons. Yeah, man. That's that's what yeah. Alex deals with every day. Fun stuff. Fun yeah. stuff. <laughs> but other than that, I've just been grinding a lot of Destiny. They had uh, an event, and the end of like the uh, game year event happened, or just ended actually today. Um, so I've been grinding hard for that a lot. Actually, I was helping one of my friends. We stayed up until 7 a.m. this morning trying to grind out some armor. Finally got that done, so now it's just kind of prepping and just messing around a bit until the next expansion, Shadowkeep, which is going to be a really big one because it's going to be the first expansion that Bungie, the developer, is made um, without being partnered with Activision. So it's going to be a really kind of really big step for them. They're changing a lot of stuff. A lot of the armor mods and, and whatnot are changing and from everything that it looks like it's being upgraded so it seems to be going in the right direction but it's really just going to kind of come down to it's really on the only time will tell really whether or not bungie's first expansion on their own is going to live up to kind of what they this this past year has given there's been a lot of pitfalls with this past year a lot of different activities that haven't really gone over well but overall compared to the year before it this past year has been absolutely stellar has brought a lot of people back to the game has given a lot of given players a lot of more stuff to do in the game so we're kind of seeing how whether or not they they can keep up that um that kind of schedule with with shadow keep um it's we're getting a lot of good stuff from the development team as far as kind of previews and whatnot there's a really long form like series of essays by the design lead of the of the studio just talking about what you know the past you know past few months leading up to where we are now and just talking about the kind of what 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 went well and what didn't go so well and just kind of explaining a lot of um behind the scenes reasonings and kind of choices that the development team made in the uh, previous expansions and kind of shedding some light on a lot of people, a lot of things that people may not be really aware of uh, within the, within the studio. So that was really nice. And it was really a breath of fresh air because it's just nice to be able to get direct word from, you know, someone that's as high level at, in the developer studio as uh, design lead Luke Smith is. Um, and it was just really cool to be able to read through that and read through all of his thoughts and whatnot. But yeah, like I said, we're just kind of in the waiting room right now, waiting for Shadow Keep to come out. Uh, it'll be October first, 
So I'm excited for that. Awesome. So I guess if any uh, Shadowkeep uh, fans or followers are there, listen to Alex. Be on the lookout for October 1st. Yeah. Yeah, the last video game I played was Super Mario Brothers 3. Joe, nobody cares. <laughs> We've talked about this, I swear. Nobody cares, Joe. <laughs> you bring this up every time I mention No, that. no, no, but like but like I played it like recently, like within the past month. <laughs> within the past month. With your 40-year-old uh, friends? No, just by myself. <laughs> oh. Such a sad life, Joe. It's awesome and you know it. I know. I'm actually very envious that Joe can actually still play games by himself and have a blast. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, Nate, what, what, have you been, what have you been up to lately? Okay, uh, recently um, I've been working a lot, but I've had a chance to like be listening to a lot of audiobooks. Um, a couple that I've been listening to in my spare time have been the short stories of Mark Twain, which um, if anyone out there is a Mark Twain fan, his work is actually very, very entertaining to just read and listen to. Um, especially for these audiobooks I've been listening to, um, the guy who is narrating them really just dawns on the, you know, the southern Mississippi accent. So it's just really fun to listen to because it just it sounds so appropriate for the stories. Um, but just listening to some of them, like there's this one that about, I guess, a, a senator who is kind of alluding to cannibalism. But really, all he's talking about is how he just, you know, tries to devour all of these other politicians and people who are voting for him in kind of a much more colorful manner. But this person who's listening to his stories is getting the impression that this guy eats people. And it's kind of, it's hilarious to listen to because the very end, it's like, oh no, that's okay. He's, that's just how he talks about all of his, you know, comrades and people he's talking to. He just entertains everybody. He's not a real cannibal. So it's kind of an interesting, you know, uh, dichotomy that, you know, Twain always has in his work. Um, I was also uh, listening to the play Angels in America by Tony Kushner. It's a play that deals with gays as well as the AIDS crisis back in the 1980s. Originally, when I first saw it, uh, I was kind of traumatized by it just because of what it dealt with. But now I looked at it with a different perspective. And this audiobook I'm listening to has the new uh, Broadway cast that has Nathan Lane and Andrew Garfield on it. So it's it's pretty good to listen to. They have the whole cast there and they're all... You know, doing the voices of all the characters. So that's been a good time killer. Now, how does that work with, like, because obviously a play is something you go see and you watch. How does how well does it translate to just on audio format? Very well, actually. Since this is the actual new Revival Broadway cast, they're kind of just tapping into just a lot of just the direction that they were given on stage. So really, it's just them in the studio with a narrator just describing any action that is not seen or heard or sorry okay. that hasn't heard so it's actually it comes off very well i thoroughly enjoyed it it was good to revisit right. it again uh other than that uh joe you and i both watched this movie so maybe both you and i can comment on this movie uh ready yes, or not did. indeed i watched this movie <laughs> <laughs> well late to the party there i i i yes uh okay do you have any history with with the the, the guys who made ready or not nate Radio Silence, the directors? I don't, but I do know that when I first saw the trailer for this movie, I mistook the actress in it, the lead actress, to be Margot Robbie, but then had to be yeah. reminded that, no, it's not Margot Robbie. It's this new Australian actress called Samara Weaving. But they look pretty much almost identical, so it's kind of hard to not confuse them to be the same person. Yeah, when I, first, I, saw, when I saw the trailer for that, yeah, I thought it, I thought it was her. Mm -hmm. And then like a couple other shots, I'm like, wait a sec. Nah. Yeah. Maybe? 
Yeah, and I was like, yeah, wait, maybe. But I just remember I was like telling everybody, oh, it's Margot Robbie. It's this new uh, thriller that she's in. And then I had to correct myself. But no, I do not know about this group of Radio Silence, Joe. So why don't you uh, educate us a little? So Radio Silence is a a group of filmmakers. They got their start doing YouTube sketches back in the, uh, I think, the early to mid-2000s. Uh, they did a, a sketch series called Mad uh, Chad, Matt, and Rob, which I enjoyed. And then they they... They started making uh, movies with anthology movies. So, so, so they made one of the sequences in VHS when that came out. And then they made a um, kind of a found footage parody of Rosemary's Baby called Devil's Do uh, in, uh, I think, the late 2000s or uh, 2013, around that time. So, so the background is definitely in this kind of horror thriller element, but they do a lot of uh, do-it-yourself uh kind of like filmmaking techniques. Right. Right. And a lot and and a lot of their stuff is very tongue in cheek. It's uh kind of in the same vein as Sam Raimi where it's like they 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 like to throw in a scare and then a joke here here and there and the whole thing just very self-aware. Mm-hmm. Um so I was quite looking forward to this as being kind of their their biggest budgeted thing to date. And I quite enjoyed it. I I I had fun. I mean, it's not like an amazing movie or anything, but I uh I went in for a good time and it delivered exactly that. It was kind of predictable, a little bit circular in the way that, that the plot kind of... The whole idea is that is that there's this woman who needs to... She, she gets married and uh, on the night of her wedding, she has to play a deadly game of hide-and-seek with her relatives. And there may or may not be some sort of ritualistic cult thing involved where they're trying to kill her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I was watching this movie, I just kept laughing to myself, Joe, because I could just see, like... This is a Joe Campbell movie. This is definitely a Joe Campbell from beginning to end. Like everything about this, how it's all done in one setting. It's just a very small ensemble cast. There is gore and just unexpected, like, you know, carnage that happens here and there. And just a lot of just scenarios. And even the ending, which I won't spoil, but I kind of almost didn't see it coming. But I felt like if it lives up to what it's trying to go for, this is going to be something that just floats Joe's boat. And it did. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I mean, again, it's not it's not the best horror comedy that I've ever seen, but it was certainly right up my alley. So I, I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. I guess the only, uh, only downside I kind of felt about the movie, and I kind of felt like it had a lot going for it, and then it didn't deliver, was this, um, you know, with uh, Samara Weaving's character, how she goes from this very, you know, blushing bride who just wants to be accepted by the family to someone who is willing to kill and arm up like Rambo and go shooting guns a-blazing. I was kind of hoping there'd be a lot more of that, there wasn't, but she still kicks ass in this movie. In a no, yeah, the the movie's more more cat and mouse yeah, than uh, anything else. Yeah, but I guess I from the, the you know you look at the poster where she has like you know these shells around her shoulder. She has like a, a two barrel gun cocked and ready to go. You're thinking, okay, I want to see a lot more of that. It, it gives us a scene of that, but it's after that, it's just pretty much you're right, just cat and mouse, and her just trying to get out of any kind of scenario that she finds herself in. Yeah. Uh, fair, fair enough. I actually thought the biggest, uh, I, the biggest thing I loved about it was actually I took my brother and my cousin to see it, and they were like, "We have no idea what's going on, but we're enjoying it." And I'm like, "Yep, this is a Joe Campbell movie, so they got to get to know." <laughs> they didn't know who you were, Joe, but I told them, "If you don't know my friend Joe, this is a movie he would love." <laughs> they're, they're 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 fans of my short films, and they, and they don't even know it exactly. <laughs> Uh, pretty much that's it. So, Joe, what did you watch? 
Uh, all right, so in addition to Ready or Not, I took time to check out the new Amazon show, superhero show everyone's been talking about, The Boys. I really want to see that. So, Joe, uh, without spoiling anything for me, how are you liking it so far? So the synopsis on, on IMDb's short is just a group of vigilantes set out to take down corrupt superheroes who abuse their superpowers. That's a pretty good synopsis of what this is right out the gate. Um, it's the sort of movie where they have basically the Justice League, like they have their Superman character, they have their Aquaman character, their Wonder Woman character. And this is pretty much like you can even just look at their costume designs and you already it's blatantly obvious what they're trying to rip off of. Right, right, exactly. The Superman guy is, is is named Homelander. He wears the red, white, and blue. He is Superman. He has the same powers as Superman. And the whole idea is that is that this is a world where superheroes exist, and they're owned by a corporation. So their their public image is, is built by this corporation. Everything they do is has heavy oversight by the higher ups within the company, and they have these tailor-made public images of themselves where it's just kind of like, oh, Homelander is the homegrown American boy who grew up, you know, out in the country on a farm. You would see him on a Wheaties cereal box. Right, right, exactly. And 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 he's he's marketed and designed to be like that. But in reality, these these but in, but in reality, all these superheroes are just dicks, basically. <laughs> they love to like mess with people, hurt people, do whatever they want. Not, not even necessarily. Well, I mean, I mean, they like they, they like to do what they want, but it's it's just more of they're just kind of narcissistic and don't really care about people. They're just kind of in it because they're superheroes. I guess they get paid well. They never really go into that. It's just it's just their their job. They get publicity. They get to be uh, celebrities basically, and that's why they do it. And they think that they're hot shit. And so the main characters of this of this uh, show. Um, Jack Quaid and Carl Urban. Carl Urban put puts together a group, including Jack Quaid. And Jack Quaid is the main character of the of, of the show, or he plays the main character of the show, a guy called Huey. And they're basically people who have, in one way or another, been impacted by the narcissism of the superheroes, or just the fact that that the superheroes don't care about anything. So, for instance, uh, the main character Huey was uh, going to be engaged with his girlfriend. He loves his girlfriend, and in the first episode, she is just obliterated just in a blink of an eye when the flash character accidentally runs through her just because he, because he, because he wasn't paying attention to where he was going <laughs> and so his whole deal is that he wants to get back at this flash character uh and get back at the superheroes because he really finds out that they're all kind of like this i mean i'm like I'm like the flash character is just just doesn't I'm like, I'm like later on, he later on, he doesn't even recognize Huey. And he's just like, oh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll make up some some apology, put it online. And then that'll be it. You know, just move on. Mm -hmm. So and uh, and Carl Urban's had had stuff in his past and all the other characters. So all these characters get, get together to, to take down the superheroes. Basically, uh, it's a very dark show, very R rated. I enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's an interesting take on on uh, the, these superheroes. I like that a lot of it seems to be touching upon a lot of cultural stuff that we see today. So for instance, uh, one thing that's kind of a, a major plot point is that there's this new superhero, this woman named Starlight, who is a genuinely good person and she wants to be a superhero to be a superhero. And she gets into this movie, uh, this show's version of the Justice League. And she's all bright eyed and like, oh great, I'm gonna go fight crime and you know, be a good guy. And basically uh, the Aquaman character 
sexually assaults her <laughs> as soon as she joins. So it sounds a lot like Watchmen in a way. Well, it's more it's more of like a, more like a Harvey Weinstein situation where it's like if you want to join, you got to do something for me <laughs> oh, kind of thing. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so and 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 uh, so the way they deal with that and the way that she's trying to figure out how to deal with that and then her whole perception of these superheroes is changed. Uh, it, it really harkens back to a lot of what we see going on today culturally, and there's a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, for instance, for instance, the way that the way that characters do apologies is it's all written up by writers in this corporation and say, "All right, you gotta come here, shake this hand, do this, and the public will forgive you and move on and forget about it." Mm -hmm. So it's I don't know, it's kind of fascinating from that angle, and the the show is really interesting. Carl Urban is fantastic, but he's always fantastic. Uh, he says the C word more times in the show than I think I've seen in any other piece of media. <laughs> wow. but, but, but he drops it like, like almost, almost as much as the F word. It's just, I don't, I don't know. It's, it, he, he's, he's just this, this, you know, this uh, smack talking Australian who doesn't give a shit about anything. I was going to, I was going to ask yeah. if he was Australian. Yeah. 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 But anyway, yeah, I would, I would definitely, if, uh, if it sounds like the sort of thing just from, from the way I've been talking about it, if it sounds like the sort of thing that you'd be interested in, I would highly recommend it. Uh, I'm looking forward to season two. I presume there's going to be season two and we'll just pretty much after how it's been received so far from everyone I've talked to. It's like, it sounds like there's going to be a, like a couple more seasons before it decides. I hope so. Cause I enjoyed this and I, and I like to see where, where they take it from here. Yeah. I have not seen the show yet, but I, it is kind of like on my radar right now, since I just recently kind of just dropped off of uh, doom patrol. Um, since I just was not willing to subscribe again to my DC Universe account. So I feel like this will take the place. Uh, and then finally, I'm just going to talk briefly about this because I mentioned it a little bit earlier and I didn't realize uh, I have two Radio Silence movies on here. So I watched Radio Not, but then I also watched Southbound, which was uh, the guys who did Radio, Radio Not, they did one of the segments of Southbound. Southbound is an anthology movie, kind of like in the vein of VHS, where it's a series of horror horror shorts. Uh, but they're not found footage, but they're all set around kind of out in the open, the open road, distant highway, abandoned towns in the desert kind of a thing. Uh, it's, uh, it's okay. It's not great. Um I I mean, from the way you're describing it, like, was there any kind of like a thorough line or a premise that all these little shorts had to kind of like consist? Well, that's probably what's the most interesting thing about this movie, because do you know how, how VHS kind of had the wraparound segment where it's someone watching VHSs? Yeah, it's basically someone is watching this uh, compilation of all these different videos in one VHS. So there's like a story that's kind of like brings them all together. They're all like horror stories that someone's previewing on a vhs tape right well southbound doesn't have anything like that but it does this interesting thing where the ending of one short will bleed into the beginning of the next short so for instance uh one will end with a character in a hotel room and uh something attacks him off screen the hotel room door closes camera pans out goes to another ho hotel door and some other characters walk out and all of a sudden you're into the next short, which has nothing to do with the previous short and is not really in the same universe or anything. It's just characters leaving a hotel. That's how this next one starts. Okay, so it's just like a match cut kind of like, you know, continuation. Right, exactly. Not and then, it, but, but, but it gets even weirder because one of them ends with a woman getting hit by a car then, and, and, then, and then the next short is the guy who hit her in the car, and he has his own adventure trying to save her. But it's weird because she's still in it, and she's technically, like, like, we just saw her in the previous short, 
so it's very strange. Um, so it's, it's it's kind of like it's kind of loose in its narrative and like there's no one really bound to the actual story that they're telling, but all of them kind of stand alone as their own. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. There's no there's there, there's no actual continuing story, but they all stitch together in a kind of an interesting way. And each and each short is directed by a different director. Uh, and then the first short is tied into the last short, as in like, you know, the, the, the first short show the first short basically drops you right into the middle of a story. And the last short tells you the first half of that story that you saw the second half of at the beginning. So, I, I mean, the, the the way they do it is interesting. Uh, the shorts themselves, not so much. I mean, they're they're fine enough for indie horror, and there's some some fairly squeamish kind of kind of gruesome moments where you're like, oh, okay, that. that that, that part got me, uh, but there's nothing really in them to really grab me. And I think that I think that's the problem with a lot of these uh, th- these horror anthologies and these horror shorts is that they because they don't have the opportunity to really flesh out a whole story. They kind of just show you a set piece, a horror set piece, which would be good in an overall bigger movie. But as their own, they're just kind of like, oh, well, that was a little little thrill that was sometimes poorly acted sometimes better acted sometimes terribly written uh and sometimes written okay so there's there's no real consistency and uh some parts are better than others but as a whole i think basically i'm not the biggest fan of vhs but there are some segments of vhs that i loved and some that i hated and there was nothing in Southbound that reached either extreme for me. Like, like, like there were none that I liked as much as parts of VHS, and there were none that I disliked as much as some parts of VHS. It kind of stays in that very interesting neutral phase where it's like, yeah, this is, you know, kind of, I see what the concept's doing. It's kind of cool. But it's nothing that's going to keep you or entertain you long enough to be like, it's, yeah. Yeah, it felt it felt very long to me, even though, even though it was interestingly stitched together and some of them were better than others. It's, 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 yeah, it, it wasn't my thing. As far as the guys who did radio silence, their segment, they did the wraparound segment. So they did the first and the last mm-hmm. short, which is really just kind of one big short at the beginning uh, and end. And uh, I mean, it's, I guess it's the best of the, the bunch, but it's not, it's, it's my least favorite of anything that I've seen them do so far. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of that, and a lot of that may be also because they, they really drop the humor and it's they they kind of try to go for just straight up horror kind of i mean it's, it's, there's a little bit of a wink and a nod to it but they're definitely leaning into the horror more than the comedy and i think what i like a lot about some of their other stuff is that blend of horror and comedy and the tongue-in-cheek aspect which was kind of missing from this one uh it's, it, was, it was okay i i wouldn't recommend it but uh if, if you're into indie horror and uh, anthology movies it's, i guess you can check it out cool all right. That's what I've seen. That is what you've seen. Oh, cool. With that, let's move into the battery. Pack them down there with us. But no matter how long it takes us, we will not be defeated. When we dance, we dance together under the moon. And under the weather, we will The Battery is a 2013 movie directed by Jeremy Gardner, written and directed and starring Jeremy Gardner. The personalities of two former baseball players clash as they traverse the rural back roads of a post-plague New England teeming with the undead. 
this movie was shot for $6,000, a little indie movie made by this guy, this dude. This um, one dude. Oh, and uh, by the way, for, for everyone listening, this will be a spoiler-free review up until the uh, end. So we'll give a spoiler warning when we talk about the ending, because we are going to talk about the ending eventually. Yeah. So this was my pick-a-flick. I don't really have a reason why I chose this, except for at some point, I added this to my Letterboxd watch list. And I was perusing my letterbox watch list trying to find something to choose for Pick-A-Flick. And I saw this and I said, I don't remember why I added it, but I thought, yeah, well, I mean, the only way I'm ever going to watch this is if I chose it. <laughs> if you forced everyone else to watch it with you. So I, this, this is definitely one of those things where you just drew a bad card and it's like, all right, guys, this is my card. Well, so, so, so I, I picked it's it. It's a decent hand. So I picked it knowing absolutely nothing about it, and uh, I forced you guys to watch it. And Nate, since you, you've you already kind of given inclinations as to what you I think of it. I freaking hate you, Joe. I freaking <laughs> hate you for making us watch this. I Okay, so here's the thing. It started off pretty strong, where you know you start off with a very stagnant shot of this guy listening to his headphones, and then it gets picked up when they're running out of a house because of zombies chasing them. I'm like, okay, let's see how if this is going to be the tone for the rest of the film. No, no, it was not. It's just two hillbillies just wandering around, meeting a couple of zombies, but them just kind of like just meandering, listening to these made up songs that were made for the movie. Welcome, welcome to the world of mumblecore cinema. Yeah. I don't think they were actually, I don't think the songs were, I don't know if the songs were actually made up for the movie. Were they? I think they were. They actually. were. I mean, yeah. I, I was listening to them, and I'm like, I, and I was reading up on IMDb. I guess the 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 music supervisor or the guy who's in charge of like building the soundtrack, uh, just kind of mm-hmm. like was able to just recruit a bunch of his bluegrass friends and just record a couple of tracks. And they were like, oh well, if this is going to be featured in your future film, yeah, we'll do it for absolutely nothing. And it feels like, yeah, that. So not to shit on this movie so much, Joe, but. I, I I would have loved to see a little bit more come out of this than just the masturbation scene that we got. Oh, oh, oh speaking of that, if you're on IMDb, uh, if you scroll down to plot keywords, it says baseball player, <laughs> masturbation, headphones, car, Connecticut. <laughs> anyway, all right. So, uh, Alex, what do you what do you what do you think of this this, this masterpiece of cinema as, as <laughs> masterpiece? Hmm. I, I think it might be a little far to call it a masterpiece, but I'm not. I don't. I don't. I don't nearly dislike it as much as Nate. Uh, I actually I enjoyed most of it. There's a few parts and shots and stuff like that where I just didn't really care for too much. It was just kind of boring. But overall, I actually did like it. I was hoping for more when it started out and then it just kind of meandered around but it it meandered around at least and interestingly enough i at no at no point did i ever want to like turn it off or come back to it later i, I was engaged throughout i it, it, the movie the movie was shot for 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 nothing basically $6000 is nothing yeah. in, the, in the the film world it definitely feels and, like it as well and it it, it looked like it the, the shots throughout the movie are are flat the writing is inconsistent at best uh cringeworthy at, at worst and it does just kind of ramble around here and there which which which, which once i realized it was kind of a mumblecore movie i expected that then i'm like oh, okay this is the kind of movie we're gonna get this is not really a zombie movie it's a movie about a couple of dudes just 
dicking around in the in the <laughs> the post-apocalyptic landscape, brushing their teeth for two minutes straight on camera in a static shot. I actually like that scene. That was not a bad scene. I'm gonna be honest. So basically, this movie has everything going against it. It's got uh, flat, boring cinematography. It's got uh, inexperienced actors, and it shows. It's got uh, cringeworthy writing. It's got no focus. And somehow the movie kind of won me over. And I ultimately, I, I, I didn't love this movie by any means, mm-hmm. but I, I gave it three out of five stars on Letterboxd when I finished it. And I think I kind of enjoyed it. I'd say I'd give it the same, honestly. I actually like, uh, up until like the very end, I actually like the cinematography. I like the way that it looked. I think it looked nice. And I actually, <laughs> up until the very end, you mean I, the last half hour is completely in a car? Yeah. Even then, it was fine. I mean, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, with that scene at the very end when we're stuck in the car for about half an hour, I found myself at one point just kind of like skipping at like 30 seconds at intervals and be like, okay, am I going to miss anything? And when I saw it was the exact same shot, I was like... Oh, I am not missing anything. Okay, I'm. <laughs> I'm gonna skip to the end and see what happens. You're missing story. You're missing character building, man. You know what happens. What what else can you do with we'll, these we'll, two we'll, dudes? We'll, we'll, we'll get to there. We'll, we'll we'll get to that ending. Uh, I, I, let's talk about the guy jacking off to the zombie first. Oh my God. <laughs> I uh, okay. Uh, I was not expecting this scene to be the one scene that stood out for me, but it definitely was. It, just because of it was so far left field when it happened, I was like. Dude, what are you doing? That that that, that scene was sudden. It, it, it was it, it was strange in that uh, first you opened that 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 sequence with the guy taking a shower, full on dick shot from a distance. That's nothing. That is nothing. And then and then I... and then you cut to the other guy just taking a nap in the car, and a female zombie in shorts and a tank top comes who, by, who is credited in, in the credits as fresh slut. <laughs> oh my gosh. And uh, he wakes up, sees her trying to get into the car, and uh, pants go down very (laughs) suddenly. It was a very uncomfortable scene. Honestly, I kind of think this was set up because earlier there was a scene where they kind of raided his uh, dead girlfriend's uh, parents' house. And there's a scene where he's he's just kind of like is going through her drawers and taking out her underwear. And I'm like, okay, we're going to set up something later with you, aren't we? And I just, when this scene finally came, I was like, why am I not expecting anything less from this? There it is. The fuck? Oh my fucking... I can't. I'm sorry, Mickey. I'm sorry, man. Oh, shit. Are you finished? I can't breathe. There are two characters throughout almost the entire movie and one of them is a a, a pervert basically is, is, is what's what they set up <laughs> I, I i'm not gonna lie i i kind of grew to hate mickey over the course of the movie not only for for the that, that weird stuff that they, that they threw in there but this is one thing i really hated about the movie was uh the plot line where he is talking on a walkie-talkie they, they, they hear somebody else on some walkie-talkies another group of survivors and they make it known that on the walkie-talkies that they don't want to be contacted and they want to be left alone. And he just keeps trying to get them on the walkie-talkie because he says, I, I want to find a place to live. Annie, are you there? Because the girl's name was Annie on the walkie-talkie. Annie, talk to me. And he's so needy, so pathetic. 
I, I, I couldn't stand it. And this guy ruins everything over and over again because he's such a whiny little guy because he was that way. And, and he kind of grew that way throughout the movie, even more, more and more so. I started liking the other character, Ben, played by Jeremy Gardner. I started liking him more and more, even though initially I found him to be really annoying. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's really kind of hard because it's like, yeah, you're right. With Mickey's character, he, he just establishes like a very needy, very clingy, kind of not really thinking. Very and, dependent. Very dependent. But it also brings into an interesting story plot line, which in this universe, which is like, you think them finding any kind of sense of community with whoever they can find it's something that's like a trope in a lot of zombie thrillers. Like, you know, you find whoever are survivors, you, you team up with them. But this movie kind of decides to play with that and showing don't let the whole idea of like the human connection get in the way of you trying to survive because that's going to only bite you in the ass. And it does. So I thought that was something interesting that the movie did bring to the table. I just realized Mickey is the Jerry from Rick and Morty of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the hair as well. But it really is. I mean, I mean, the, the, the idea is interesting in that there is just a, just a couple of dudes who are thrown together by the fact that they just happen to play for the same baseball team. And they're in this post-apocalyptic world. One of them is constantly trying to get back to that sense of normalcy. He, he wants to live in houses, whereas the other guy, Ben, wants to keep on the move so they don't get trapped in a house. Mickey wants a girlfriend. Ben is like, there's zombies around. We're not <laughs> gonna find a girlfriend, and and uh, so Mickey just is is he wants to live a fantasy life that is not uh, possible in the world that 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 they're living in. Whereas Ben is very realistic. He just like, hey, this is the world we live in now. We move from house to house, take what we need, move on, and uh, keep roaming around. This is just how we're gonna live. Beat up zombies, and. I started to respect that, even though I found Ben as a character to be annoying, and just just in the very lackadaisical way he just danced around, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that one scene where he's just basically in the house and he's just got a bottle of Jack and yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Where he's literally dancing around. And he's like, "Listen, you're on your headphones the whole time listening to music. We're switching places. You'll be on watch. I get to party now." I, so- I get, I get that in this world he would have been kind of a bully mm-hmm. to Mickey. But in this world, I like him so much more because he's a lot more independent and he actually has a plan and no, and he knows what he wants to do and he goes and does it. Whereas Mickey is just kind of moping around with his ears and his headphones, wishing that he was back in the normal world. There, there were points in the movie where where I kind of grew to like and, and dislike both of them. Um, they're just like where they would, you know, they would do something and I, I sided with either one at different points that, you know, Ben would be obnoxious and bring a zombie into Mickey's room to try to force him to kill it. There'd be, there'd be times where, you know, kind of like, like Joe, you're saying Ben's looking at the, what they have going on and like realizing this, this is it. Like you've really got to be on your toes and not, you know, just tuned out to the whole world, listening to music all the time. So, I mean, I see both sides of them. I didn't end up on one side or the other of hating or liking one of them at the end. I think I think whoever you you, you relate to the most could say a lot about yourself as 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 a person because Ben is a realist and he's self-sufficient. He's also a dick. 
Mickey has more uh, humanity and he's more emotional and he hasn't lost his sense of uh, right or wrong or just a sense yeah, of yeah just, like, just, 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 just being being a person in tune with his emotions uh, he's also incredibly dependent and whiny and unrealistic um, and that's actually something I wanted to kind of ask is because like in this sense like I keep I kept thinking to myself other than just them being on the same baseball team what was it that that was keeping them together all this time because there are many times where I kind of felt like Aside from you guys being on the same baseball team, what's keeping you together other than the fact that, you know, Ben is, you know, obviously he's the one with a gun and he has a sense of, you know, realism in the sense of like, well, we have to be on the move and Mickey being so dependent as he is, is going to cling to whoever he wants, who's going to be like that. But it kind of felt like other than that, it was a relationship that almost felt like it was doomed to fail, which does play into the ending. Yeah, well, I think it was, didn't, I mean, the name of the film, The Battery, they mentioned it in the movie somewhere. I, I, they touched on it so briefly. I was a little disappointed. I was hoping it would like come back into play. That I don't even remember what the whole definition or the idea behind The Battery is. But I think they just stuck together just because they were, they were just together. They were kind of all they had in that world outside of their own you know personal belongings that they've scavenged. They were kind of a team as much as... Ben was kind of doing most of it. I mean, like, you know, you think about it, like, in that kind of world where every other normal person that you meet is, well, now a zombie. You kind of want to hold on to some someone else, even if you didn't really know them too well at the beginning. It's like, I think Mickey was mentioning as well, back when they were on the baseball team together, back before anything any of the, anything happened, they never were in the same circles, um, you know, despite being on the same team, but like I said, I think just what 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 kept them together was that, that they were just that they just ended up together, and that they were just the two humans together. That's it. Yeah, and I guess actually that's something I kind of think just lives up to the whole kind of mumblecore genre in a way is that how mumblecore just like observes these unconventional relationships that exist out there. Uh-huh. Like you think on a movie like this that these two would have some kind of chemistry as friends, other than the fact that you know they both like baseball i didn't really feel like there was any kind of i wouldn't say like maybe it was there a little bit but i guess for me it just was really hard for me to sense the friendship or the camaraderie just because you know they're very very two different people and even if you kind of saw them together it's like oh you guys are friends um and i guess that's one thing that's admirable about the movie is that you know there's something a little bit deeper in there because yeah because alex you're right you're like other than being on the baseball team they didn't really have anything else connecting them and the fact that yes while in this world they're all that they have it's seen what is that fiber that's still connecting them and at the very end that's even tested yeah i mean there are shots of them kind of laughing and hanging out and having fun but we're never really but those are always dubbed over with music Mm -hmm. that we never actually get to kind of see what they're like together outside of a more like tense situation or kind of, you know, confronting each other about concerns or problems that they have with each other. So we never really get to see them, I guess, really kind of having fun until the very end. But you never really see that uh, kind of in any other part of the movie. Yeah, maybe the movie is a metaphor for the battery because they're like the two batteries of the Walkman. And they're both keeping each other charged and alive to see which one will drain out the first. 
maybe that's what it was going for, but I, I don't think so. One thing I did like in this movie, which uh, I think might might be something that you dislike, Nate, uh, is the lackadaisical pacing and non-focused focus of the movie. Uh, I don't know. It was comfortable and relaxing to me. A lot of the times, movies like this will lose my interest. I'll just be like, oh my gosh, there's no point. Just move on. I mean, for instance, there was a, a one movie I saw. It's uh, I think it's a, it stains the sands red and another kind of no budget zombie movie that I disliked, even though that movie had focus, but it was kind of like, it, 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 was just, it was just one woman being chased by a zombie across a desert, basically. But in that movie, even though it had focus, it didn't really seem to know where it was going. Whereas the battery seemed to be making up what it was doing along the way. But that was kind of the point, was that it's just a couple of dudes hanging out, surviving in the in in, in, the, in the, the zombie wasteland. They They dislike each other they just happen to be thrown together by circumstance but they're all they got yeah and actually that's something i'd like to try and trail into now joe if that's okay is actually the whole production of this movie now as you mentioned this was a self-funded project and they only shot this in the course of between 15 to 16 days and a lot of like how they shot this as you kind of mentioned joe was very tongue-in-cheek like they would just like okay whatever location is available on this day we'll go and shoot there um, and the movie definitely has that feel. It gives that kind of idea like, well, there is no focus, and it almost feels like they just stumbled across these locations as they were available. I just kind of was hoping maybe there was a better cinematographer as opposed to this guy who just shot everything on a wide-angle lens. It's, it's, it feels very home video-y, which maybe if there was like some focus in how they wanted to do their compositions, that would have lent itself pretty well to it. Yeah, and, and here's where, where criticisms of the movie are kind of torn between being criticisms and being just a little bit understanding because I applaud them for getting out and making this movie and, and they made a half decent movie. I mean, like I liked the movie more, more, more than I didn't. They, they got something done. They didn't seem to have that much of a plan as far as how they're going to do it, but they did it and they turned out something decent. On the yeah, other for, hand, for other... as much of a budget that they had and how quickly they shot. Yeah. It. By the way, did you guys know what the most expensive thing on this production sheet was the freaking station wagon i was gonna say the car yeah <laughs> yeah they bought that car for 600 bucks on like craigslist wow and i'm surprised that it was still running if they bought it for that much but on, on the other hand though i mean there's no way getting around the fact that the movie does look and feel homemade from mm -hmm. the acting to the writing to the cinematography i don't think the movie needed to have fancy cinematography I, I, in fact, in fact, I think that that having long, flat shots works well for this kind of movie. It's just the way that the shots are set up are not very interesting. Wide, flat shots. They, 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 they feel like they just kind of set it up and pointed it at the action, yeah. without really doing a whole lot of staging beyond. Yeah. Let's make sure everything's yeah. in the frame. Yeah, and actually, that's one thing I was going to comment on. Is like, you know, I wouldn't mind if that's kind of like the the feel and the look you want to go for your compositions, but even like. Filmmakers like Alfonso Cuaron, who is you know infamous for doing guerrilla style filmmaking, will still utilize space very well. Or or even... or, 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 my, or, my, or Michael Michael Haneke has a similar look yeah. and feel to his movies. Yeah, but it's it's how they use the space, how they use that to tell the story, and make the most of what is being told in the setting. Whereas with this, it, it feels like they didn't take advantage of that, and it's just you're right. It feels very like run and gun, just point the camera in this direction we'll capture it what we can because there's a lot of just like 
empty space here and there. And I guess that was the one thing, just me being a, that kind of a technical kind of person that bugged me the most. It's like, there's so much you could have used for that space. I actually kind of liked that they had a lot of space because it kind of, because it showed it, it was just them. You know, mm-hmm. you see the wide empty field behind them or, or, or anything else like that. And you realize they're alone. And I, I, I really actually, I did like the cinematography. It was as simple as it was. There were some shots, of course, that I didn't really care for. There was one where they were walking towards the camera and walked past it, and that just the camera just followed along with them. That looked terrible, but I liked a lot of it, and I liked where they shot too. The scenery, everything, every where they shot looked nice. So I think it, the kind of landscape really helped out the those wide angle shots, like mm-hmm. you know, like talking about. Yeah, I, I, I think as far as as far as the acting is concerned, too, it's interesting because I didn't mind them when they were acting against each other, because it, 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 these characters are really just kind of caricatures blown out of proportion, and when they're working against each other, it's interesting to watch, even when the the acting isn't top notch, which sometimes it was fine. It was still it was always interesting to watch, mm-hmm. and to see these two yeah. characters work against each other was always entertaining. I love the way that I don't like Mickey as a character, but when he's whining against Ben, I like the way Ben responds to him. Sometimes Ben is just like, no, we're not fucking doing that. And other times Ben would be like, yeah, sure, we'll do that, but you're going to be responsible for whatever happens, okay? <laughs> I, think they, I think they did kind of play off each other pretty decently. Yeah, but, yeah. But I think, I think, I mean, maybe it's just Mickey's character, but I think Ben was definitely the uh, better, had the better acting uh, in in the film. Mm-hmm. But right, again, we, that, that could just be Mickey's character and him being Which a, is... Which is why when when when, uh, when Mickey's on the walkie-talkie trying to get a hold of Annie, those those scenes just drove me crazy, and I wanted them to stop. <laughs> I think just because for for myself watching that, I'm just this guy is driving me crazy, like this character, and I want him to just stop doing this Annie. and just man up. Annie, please. <laughs> Hello. What do we do? I don't know. You don't know. You don't know? What don't you know? I know. I fucking know. You know, I know that these are the first people that we've heard from in months. Months! They've got their shit together, man. Communications, birthdays, fucking movies, fucking tremors. Yeah, and we're clearly not invited to the party, Nick. I don't care. You know, I don't want to live out here like this anymore, man. Sleeping on rooftops, living out of a car, with you. You're like a fucking caveman, and you stink, and you don't seem to care. You know, you like living this hunter-gatherer lifestyle, but I don't. You know, I don't like waking up every day wondering if today's the day I'm gonna die. Wondering if today's the day that a fucking walking dead person eats my head. It's not funny, man. It's no, not it's fucking not funny. funny. I'm serious. Okay, I know. Okay, you're fucking serious, man. I get it. You want to find them? Go find them. They don't want to be found, man. How are you going to find them? Are we ready to get into the ending? Uh, yeah, let's do that. So from here on out, spoilers for The Battery. Although I doubt we're spoiling anything for folks who haven't seen this. Uh, just, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay. The people that Mickey is trying to get a hold of, he they eventually bump into them. They bump into Annie. And... They have a, a little run-in with them, but everything's good. They're about to, 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 to leave on, if not pleasant terms, at least they're not going to 
do anything rash. It's amicable. Like, they're kind of like, you do your thing, we'll do our thing. All right. Cool. Yeah. And then Mickey, because he's a dumbass, has to be yeah. like, wait, are, are you Annie? Please take us with you. And she freaking shoots Ben in the lake. In and abandons them there because Mickey was being a dumbass. And the rest of the movie is Mickey and Ben are trapped in their car and they're surrounded by zombies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Annie threw the uh, threw the keys out in the uh, out in some bushes so that they can give them enough time to drive off without uh, without without Ben and Mickey following them. So keys are outside outside of the car. It's getting dark. Mickey can't find the fucking keys to save his life. And Ben's sitting there on the hood of the car with a busted leg. So they just crawl inside the car and spend the And they spend, I guess, days, if not weeks, in this car. And the camera never leaves the inside of the car. Whereas inside this car is just being rocked back and forth by zombies on the outside. Pretty much the same angle, like, for the next 30 minutes. We're just... (laughs) I'm not not exaggerating. This is the last literal 30 minutes of the movie is just like the same angle or two inside this car as yeah. just like sitting there smoking and listening to music and not sure what to do to get out. They're getting drunk on their last bottle of booze, smoking cigarettes, having zombie titties up against the glass. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest, guys. This is kind of where the movie won me over, though. Really? This <laughs> scene? This, this part I, right here. I, I, I think because I kind of started putting myself into their shoes and thinking like, well, okay, what are their options here? What, what can they do? Well, they can't just shoot their way out, but they got to go over and find the keys. And so, well, they could climb up the sunroof. Well, they tried climbing up the sunroof. Eh, that's not working out too well. And I was trying to think, I, like, like, like I was, felt like I was thinking along with them trying to figure out, well, what, what, what options do you got here? And it's just a couple of guys just going crazy in this in this car. And I was just interested to see how they were going to end it. I knew that there was very, like very few possibilities for how they're going to end it. And I was just curious which one they're going to go with. Okay. So this is actually a part of the movie where on a storytelling level, I felt like there was a huge missed opportunity here and I'm going to explain. So 30 minutes you're in this car, pretty much this is how they're going to go out. You would think as audience member, this would be a great moment for them to either reconcile some things or reveal some things to each other whatever it may be, show some character development, they don't take advantage of that at all. It's just these two dudes sitting in the car, smoking, drinking, and that's it. And I guess th- that is the problem I had with that part. Is like, I don't mind it being the last 30 minutes of us stuck in a car. Just make it the most of that time. Welcome to Mumblecore, bitch. I know. <laughs> Which is probably a big reason why I'm so frustrated with this genre, because it can go yeah. either way. Alex, what were your thoughts on the last 30 minutes? It was boring. <laughs> They're just smoking, drinking, getting drunk. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I want to like it, and I kind of do, but at the same time, like, I'm with Nate. They missed an opportunity to have them talk things out and to, like, really resolve a lot of character and just build their character even more just before they finally go out, and they didn't. Like, their own, like, their one, like idea of escape is like hot wiring the car and ben just shuts that down immediately be like ah you're just gonna like you know you're gonna start stripping wires and whatnot and you're gonna screw it up more than you're gonna help and then they don't ever touch on that again it's just like okay well guess we're just stuck in the car now they don't <laughs> talk about anything else other than like a brief mention of like how much water they have and then that's it you see i i think the reason it didn't bother me was because 
in my mind, I'd already figured these characters out, and I think I, I, I got the feeling that they had already figured each other out, and they knew where they stood, and they probably whatever conversa- meaningful conversations they would have had, they would have already had, and they clearly don't like each other, they don't care about each other, and so th- when they're in the situation, the first thing on their mind is just, well, how do we get out? I don't know. Well, what do we do? I don't know. Drink, smoke, use up the rest of our water, drink our own pee, whatever, <laughs> whatever we got left. And I think the reason I liked the fact that it, it went on so long with nothing happening was that you really get into their heads when Mickey is just complaining about the sound and saying it's driving me crazy. I'm like, yeah, yeah. We as the audience have been sitting here for 30 minutes listening to the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say also with the the ultimate ending. So Mickey ends up jumping out of the sunroof because he's he's just going to try to guess jump over the zombies, try to find the key real quickly, and either get off on his own or come back for Ben because Ben is again in, in the car with a, a, a shot leg, so he can't really move around very easily. And he jumps out of the car, and we're just sitting there with Ben for several minutes. Dude, and- he has a, he has enough time in that one shot to smoke a whole cigarette. Pretty much, pretty much. And the whole question is, what's going to happen? Is Mickey going to run away? Is he going to come back with the keys? Or is he going to get taken out? And my money was on him coming back with the keys because I felt like that would have been in character for the mumblecore genre. Like, 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 like I thought that he was just going to come back with the keys and say, hey, I got him. And they're going to drive off and that was going to be the end of the movie. Yeah. So he, he jumps in. He says, oh, I've been bitten. Ben shoots him in the face. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I mean, you go, go to the character, their character. Ben's the realist. He knows Mickey's going to turn. And- no, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't expecting him to jump in and then just get killed off and then uh, have Ben just sitting there being like, well, just off Mickey. What am I going to do? Well, I guess I'm going to try to uh, distract the zombies and run away, which is what he does. I know you guys don't feel this way, but that, that that last sequence was really what kind of brought it up for me a little bit from, I don't know about this movie, to, okay, was, I, I, I was on board. I, I think it's because I was invested in those last 30 minutes trying to figure out what was going to happen. Whereas before, I liked the the unfocused flow of the movie. I enjoyed it as just kind of like a relaxing little zombie trip. Yeah. And then those last 30 minutes was kind of like, all right, we'll give you a little bit more investment now. And uh, all right, we're done. I guess, if anything, that it does live up to the whole mumblecore kind of genre, which you, you guys have been hinting and alluding this to a lot throughout this uh, podcast, which is it's very meandering, very, there's not a lot of direction or focus, but it's just a lot of creating that sense of space, that sense of time that these characters are existing in, which, you know, it's, it's true, Joe. You're right that it did have its own kind of feel at the very end, which is not your typical Hollywood movie. I just feel like for a setting like that, you could have done a lot more. You could have done a lot more with what you were given. And even though they were on a budget, they probably only had the actors for only so many hours a day. Like, I I, I do know at one point at that ending, they lost the whole zombie cast because they kind of, like, taped up the windows. I could tell, like, there was nobody on the other side of the glass. So those are, like, actors they only had for, like, one day. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, that was bothering me how... Uh, when you had the blankets up, but the light was coming through, and you could tell that there was nobody on the other side. That yeah. really bothered me. Yeah, so if anybody wants to watch this movie just to see like what a six thousand dollar budget movie kind of looks and feels like, it's it's definitely a good example because uh, uh, I mean, I kind of going back to the whole kind of like how low budget this was. You can see the warp stabilizer on a lot of those shots. 
And if, yeah. Dude, the freaking gunshot noises were terrible. <laughs> oh my gosh, that got me every time. I hated it. It was like, it's like they just chose generic gunshot sound number four for everything. Like, I swear I've heard that in probably some like indie game or something. Or even just like, I guess, like the um, audio filter that they put on just because they had so much noise in the ambience in the background. It just felt garbled. Sorry to kind of shit on this movie again, but I guess. If anything, to look at this movie as a good example of a, a really low-budget mumblecore zombie movie, it's a good example for it. It makes the most of what it has. I think it could have done more with what Just it has. Just give had. me the keys and I'll let him go. Just calm down, okay? Can we talk about this? Let's talk. I don't have time to fucking talk. Why not? What's the rush, man? Where are you going? Please, we can help you. We, we can take you anywhere you want. I need to go to fucking Arizona. Are you going to take me to fucking Arizona? No, I didn't think so. Now put down the gun and toss over the keys. I don't have the keys. God damn it, I am not fucking around here. I will open this motherfucker up. No, you won't. What did you say? I said you won't do it. Yeah, so um, final thoughts. I don't have a whole lot of experience with Mumblecore. Honestly, I... I guess the what the, the Duplass brothers are kind of the go-to example. A lot of people say, yeah, for, for this kind of stuff. I haven't seen any of their stuff. Uh, the only other thing that I've seen that really kind of equates to this is another Evil, which was a, a 2016 haunted house movie, kind of, which had a very similar kind of kind of tone and, and feel to it. Which I enjoyed that, but I mean, all the mumblecore movies that I see tend to be like these these takes on different genre movies. I would give this movie a mild recommendation. I generally enjoyed it. It was it was it was a good. I, I watched most of this honestly in the like around like the middle of the night. I, I I watched this in sections. So like I watched the first half, and then I was gonna finish the next half the next day, and then I woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't get back to sleep, so I just put it on. It was it was it was nice for like a you know a three o'clock in the morning movie. Honestly, the fact you watched that three o'clock in the morning, I'm impressed with that, just because I would fall asleep. Well. I, <laughs> Uh, that's the reason I watched it at three o'clock in the morning. I was hoping it would put me to sleep because <laughs> I was having trouble getting to sleep. So I put it on and uh, I ended up finishing it. So this will be your <laughs> nice mild recommendation for some soothing mumblecore to relax you and lull you to sleep. Recommended by Joe Kane. I've got I've got a lot of problems with it. Um, I don't like Mickey. I, I do do not like the masturbation scene at all. <laughs> Very uncomfortable. <laughs> Zero stars. Uh, the movie as a whole is okay. It's an okay little movie, and I applaud them for getting out and doing it and uh, making a halfway decent movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Alex, I'd probably say the same mild recommendation. It's I, I, I enjoyed it, um, kind of really up until the end where it just kind of got a bit weary. But I liked how relaxed it was. I also liked how it was a zombie movie without any jump scares. Like, there was no, like, actual scary parts. Mm-hmm. That was, I really liked that. Because I don't like scary movies. So we were able to watch a movie and just have it kind of be as, like, comfortable and relaxing as it was. I, I enjoyed that. I liked the cinematography. I liked the music. Music was really nice. Some nice Americana, folk, blues stuff. Um, but I, I acting was fine. It was serviceable. Um, there was a couple lines that got me. Like, um, was Annie calling Ben Beardy face right after she shot him? Like, where do why did you come up with that in like such a tense situation? Like Beardy face, really? That's that's the best you can, that's the best you got. All I, right, it, yeah, it was 
it's fine. It's not great. It's not bad. It just kind of sits right in the middle or so, at least enjoyable to some degree. Nate? Well, I mean, I think I've kind of uh, riffed this movie to death already, but I guess like the one thing I will say about this, if we want to leave it on a positive note, is this is definitely a good example of what a mumblecore film is all about, which is you have these these actor, director, writers who are just, they are passionate enough to actually go out of their way to actually film something. And, you know, despite whatever budget, whatever constraints they have, as far as talent, as far as resources, they make the most of what they have. And I think this definitely does show it. I think, uh, if anything, uh, Jeremy Gardner definitely had a passion for this. He definitely had a voice that he brought to it, his own style, his own you know, take on the zombie genre with these two characters. I think if anything, he just could have made a little bit more of what he had, which was he could have, you know, used the camera a little bit better. He could have used several scenes a bit better. He could have done writing a little bit better. Um, And I guess that's just something I just challenge or, you know, would say to anyone who would be thinking about watching this movie. Instead of watching this movie, just go out and make your own mumblecore film, you know, if you have a camera, something, an iPhone, I mean, iPhones are getting to the point now where even Steven Sonnenberg is making a movie on an iPhone. Uh, I'd say just go make your own mumblecore film and just, you know, have an experience like that. So that'd be my recommendation. Not necessarily watch this one, but just make your own. Fair, I guess. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So that will end this episode of the Film Illiterates podcast. Uh, Nate, where can you, where, where can people find you? Uh, Instagram at Nathan underscore Stone underscore Films. Uh, I'm also here on Film Illiterates. I do these podcasts with Joe and Alex. And I don't know, maybe in the near future, you might see our faces again in a video or two. Hopefully, Joe. Maybe? Hopefully. We'll uh, have further updates on that. Mm-hmm. Alex, uh, you can. We got a bunch of old uh, film letters episodes on filmletters.com. I am on Twitter at Alex D. Patton. If you want to follow kind of what I'm listening to, I'm on Rate Your Music under Half Scrim. I got got the same name under my anime list as well, or I update it less frequently, but it's it's still there. Um, but that's kind of about it. Where you can find me. And you can find me on uh, Film Illiterates Twitter page, uh, twitter.com slash filmilliterates. I also run the Facebook page, and you can find me on letterboxd.com slash film underscore illiterate. Just one last little thing. I just did, did a quick little Google here. Uh, the battery, do you guys know about Shout Factory? Yes. Yes. It's like a, a, a Blu-ray uh, boutique company that puts out little high-quality versions of cult movies on blu-ray with lots of bonus features and stuff guess yeah. what movie guess what movie they've released oh they have they really they, they the battery is released on uh, shout factory blu-ray with an audio commentary a 90 minute making of documentary and an outtake reel i actually want to see that i actually really want to see that oh and a featurette on the music of the battery oh i really want to see that now. alex you might have to get this this blu-ray yes so <laughs> it's your guys's money i'll let you do what you want <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that'll do it for uh, this episode of the Mulders Podcast. Uh, keep watching movies and keep it easy. Bye.